welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the film critic for the website Quipster.net. Thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoy the review you're about to hear. If you do, I do encourage you to check out my website for over 3,800 film reviews. I've been doing film reviews since 1996, and you can find all of my written work there at that website, Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Today I'm going to be reviewing... The Huntsman, Winter's War. It's an adventure slash fantasy slash action film. It's PG-13 rated because of fantasy, action, violence, and some sensuality. The runtime is an hour and 54 minutes. Returning to the cast, Chris Hemsworth and Charlize Theron with newcomers Emily Blunt and Jessica Chastain. Nick Frost also returns along with Rob Brydon, Sheridan Smith, and Alexandra Roach. The director is Cedric Nicholas Troyan, and the screenplay is by Evan Spiliotopoulos and Craig Mazine. The Huntsman Winter's War joins the unenviable ranks of such films as Red 2 and London is Falling, among others. This is a sequel that no one wanted to a modest hit, but it gets made anyway because the cast of the original film had signed contracts to retain their services if a follow-up is made within a certain number of years. Despite not making its money back domestically, Snow White and the Huntsman made $155 million, but it did it on a $170 million budget in the U.S., the worldwide box office kicked in another $241 million to its final total, and that led Universal to think that slashing the sequel's budget to $115 million, so significantly less than the original film, that might lead to a healthy profit, especially given the kind of star power that they have on hand with Chris Hemsworth and Charlize Theron, plus the additions of quality actresses like Emily Blunt and Jessica Chastain, who was contractually obligated to appear in the film, and who counteract the absence of Kristen Stewart, who raised quite a ruckus for the studio with her much-publicized affair with the Snow White and the Huntsman director Rupert Sanders, who was also not asked to return. Universal claims that that was not the reason why she didn't return, but I can't really think of a good (laughs) other reason, especially given the story is compromised quite a bit with her absence. In Universal's eyes, nevertheless, this is a check that's waiting to be cashed with a defined expiration date, so they're rolling the dice here that enough people are out there to make it worthwhile, especially with this quality of cast. Now, having already made Snow White into a warrior queen in Snow White and the Huntsman, the creative minds behind this series so far have decided to move on without Snow White by crafting a film that is about one-third prequel and two-thirds sequel. There are fleeting references to the first film, Snow White's mentioned in the movie, and a body double is shown in one particular scene, but Snow White's basically shuffled to the sidelines in a what I consider to be a completely unsatisfying plot contrivance that negates the happily ever after ending of the first film. The Huntsman Winter's War is truly an attempt from a studio to peddle a product more so than something born out of a director or screenwriter's unique vision. And there's no more evidence of that than the fact that Universal gave the entire property to Snow White and the Huntsman's visual effects artist. He's a first-time feature director, Cedric Nicholas Troyan. He's brought in here to try to deliver all of the spectacle and do so at a more modest budget. 
Now, as far as the story goes, from the first third of the film, which is the prequel part, we find that the Wicked Queen Ravenna has a sister named Freya. Freya is a more benevolent, at least at first, younger sibling who is seemingly always in her eldest sister's shadow. Freya ends up in an affair with a handsome duke who is betrothed to another. She soon has his child, but instead of starting a new life with her, the Duke ends up destroying their future by killing the baby. In the resultant grief that Freya feels at the deplorable act, this brings out latent superpowers within her to control the forces of cold and ice from within her body and to project them outward. And she uses these forces to not only get revenge, but once leaving to form her own kingdom up north, she also aims to make use of the children of the land to raise and to train, not only to fight for her as her huntsmen, who for whatever reason don't really hunt, so I don't know how they got the name, but uh, but she also forbids them the dreaded thing that she was denied in life, through the cowardly actions of her ex, and that is love. They are not allowed to feel any love for anybody else. Now, two of the children in her huntsman training regime are named Eric and Sarah. Not only are Eric and Sarah her best warriors, but they also are secretly, of course, in love with each other, knowing that they can never really live an open life together as lovers, Eric and Sarah, who are now grown and played by Chris Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain. They vow to leave their responsibilities and start a life together on their own, but Freya catches wind and forces a wedge quite literally between the would-be couple. From there, we have to presume come the events of Snow White and her battle with Ravenna, who ends up mortally defeated from the first film, and the rest of the film continues with Eric's story as he goes on the quest to to eventually to try to look for the magic mirror, and that leads him to also discover that many things that he believed to be true were merely deceptions, and many things he believed to be dead are really not. So I won't really spoil anything more on this regard, even though the trailer tells you a lot more. As with Snow White and the Huntsman, The Huntsman Winter's War is not only a continuation of that dark fairy tale adventure, but it's also a continuation of the liberal lifting of other fantasy properties. They cobbled together an amalgam of the genre's greatest hits. Now, primary among the films that are lifted liberally from comes... Disney's Frozen, of course, because you have an ice queen who is snubbed and ends up, you know, going into isolation and causing a lot of havoc for the people in the land because of her state of depression. We also have a few strands here in terms of her character with The Bride with White Hair, which is a Hong Kong film that not a lot of people have seen, but very popular within this genre. Also, its sequel, uh, because The Bride was snubbed and she her hair turns white and she exacts revenge on those who wronged her and eventually in the sequel comes to hate all men and starts to raise an army of women who don't need men in their lives or no love basically. Now in addition you also have a continuation of the fairies from Pan's Labyrinth and the environs and giant majestic animals that you'd find in such a TV series like Game of Thrones if perhaps they milled about in Middle Earth that you find in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and speaking of Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Magic Mirror now has the effect of the One Ring, including the look and the rune etchings around it. Unfortunately for people who are fans of Snow White, what this means is that it's no longer Snow White, because not only do you not have Snow White in the film, but pretty much all but the faintest traces of 
the original Snow White story are completely jettisoned in favor of this mishmash of current genre tropes. You know, once you get to the finale, it feels a lot less like a fairy tale and a lot more like a showdown between the X-Men at the climax of one of their films. Now, The Huntsman, the film, also proves that you just can't stuff your film with recognizable and bankable actors and expect instant cast chemistry. All four main players, they're all excellent in their own regard, and they're adequate in playing their respective roles, given how mediocre the lines that are given to them. You know, the best that we can say is that they don't completely embarrass themselves. Three of the four main actors are told to deliver their lines in accents that they don't really have good mastery of. I don't even know that Eric the Huntsman's accent is even consistent with the first film here, either. But there are no mesmerizing moments between any of these actors. So, given you have these really great thespians in the middle of the film, you want them to interact with each other and actually elevate each other, but they all seem to be doing their own thing. In one instance, you have this blossoming romance with Eric and Sarah, and Sarah ends up, you know, being his one true love in life, which kind of negates the <laughs> the true love's kiss at the end of Snow White and the Huntsman, I suppose. Hemsworth and Chastain are certainly charismatic actors in their own right. They're attractive enough to buy as worthy of a kind of smoldering love scene, but in this film they come across a little bit too much like a brother and sister and not enough like lovers to the point where they never become two people who we might anxiously want to see come together as lovers. I suppose this is what happens when Academy Award caliber actors are given lines that were penned by Evan Spiliotopoulos, who was the screenwriter for the most part of a whole slew of Disney straight-to-video sequels, including including such classics as The Lion King 1 and a half. did you see that one, or Cinderella 3, Twist in Time. Also brought in to help with the screenplay for comic relief is Craig Mazine, who is the jokester who helped pen pretty forgettable and pretty awful movies like Superhero Movie and Scary Movie 3 and 4 and Hangover 2 and 3, not considered anywhere near the best of those series. Now, given the jocular nature of Hemsworth's delivery and of his dwarf cohorts, there's a quartet of dwarves in this film who resemble... I guess the hobbits from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but they are given really snarky banter like you would find in The Princess Bride, further continuing the lifting of other fantasy properties. You would think that Sarah, played here by Jessica Chastain, would be attracted to the kind of personality that Hemsworth is giving here, the fun and frivolous potential partner she has, but she seems as oblivious to his sense of humor throughout this film, and she chooses to instead love him because I guess they like to engage in battles together. They don't really have a lot of good comic banter, but they do have a lot of I guess, physical presence among each other. So it doesn't seem romantic, but that's what we get here. That's also why we don't really feel that chemistry, I suppose. Now, meanwhile, on the other side of the spectrum, the two sisters, played by Charlize Theron and Emily Blunt, they seem like they barely know one another beyond the couple of scenes that they have together where they either play chess or just kind of mill about without any real direction. It makes their scenes lose whatever sadness or poignancy that could have been had there when it's time for the proverbial chips to fall where they may. 
I would say if there's a hint here, you know, maybe I should write a note to Hollywood that to say that if you're going to make a film in which love conquers all, that old Latin phrase, if you're going to make that a theme of your film, it should at least have one character or one scene worthy of us in the audience feeling an emotion at some point. Nevertheless, it's a perfunctory narrative device. It doesn't really have any meaning because the film in the end really is kind of meaningless. Liam Neeson's brought in here. He's uncredited, but he narrates the film. Reasons are unknown, probably like everybody else, a contractual obligation, I suppose. He doesn't appear at all in front of the camera as any kind of character, so it's a little distracting to hear his voice. It's very distinct, so you always know it's Liam Neeson. You wonder why he's there. And you also wonder why he's telling us things that the film really should have been showing us instead. Now, after all of this, what's left is more or less what the original kind of had, which is eye candy. There are a lot of really impressive special effects. The costumes are gorgeous. The hairstyle, the makeup, all lavish and beautiful. The choreography of the action is very energetic. You can't always tell what's going on, but it always seems like there's a lot going on. The actors, of course, are beautiful. All of these sumptuous things are filling the screen. It's a veritable feast for the eyes, even if there's really not a lot for the heart or the soul to consume. It's a film that at once seems to be playing for a variety of potential audiences, given how many other popular properties it's lifting from, but it's not in any sort of fashion where it might adequately satisfy any specific audience. That's kind of a shame, especially for fans of the first film who not only would want to see Snow White return, and they're not going to get that here, but at the very least, if Snow White's not going to be here, the fans of the first film probably didn't want to see that story arc that they came to know and become fond of completely become unraveled within seconds in this story. And it basically negates any goodwill that you have toward the first film if you're going to believe this one. Now, with the existing fan base disappointed and no new fans probably climbing aboard this one, perhaps once and for all, this will be the end of this series. Then again, if we've learned anything from this franchise thus far, it's that just because you think you've seen the last of a character doesn't mean you will, and especially if there's going to be another proverbial check on the table that's waiting to be cashed. And as I always say when it comes to cash grabs, you don't have to make sense if you're making dollars instead. Two and a half stars goes to The Huntsman Winter's War. And two and a half stars on my scale means that it had the tools, it had the talent to be a worthwhile film, but it falls short despite a lot of promising aspects to it from being something I could wholeheartedly recommend to anyone because of that lack of being able to get it all together and deliver. You have a great cast here. It's a beautiful looking movie with a better screenplay here. Perhaps something might have come together, some juicier dialogue, uh, a better plot and a better way to sidestep the Snow White and the Huntsman storyline because what's delivered here is extremely unsatisfying. You might have had a better film 
So thank you everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the review. If you haven't done so already, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button because I do deliver reviews of most of the major releases throughout the course of the year, as well as smaller films, independent films, films that are going straight through VOD, whatever strikes my fancy and whatever I think that you as the audience might want to hear. You can also write to me directly and let me know some of those movies that you think that you'd like to hear me review. You can go to my website to find my contact information, as well as links to my Twitter feed and my Facebook page. All of those are adequate ways in order to get in touch with me. You can go to quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening, and I hope that you enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies.